0: The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of season 5 of The Outspoken Bible. Jen Robertson and Neil Glover are with me. I'm Fiona Stewart. Hello both. Hello. Hi. (laughs) That's the most nerve-wracking part, (laughs) over with. It really is, we were at, time.
1: We were at the dancing, uh, you know, we do this thing where we go to the dancing every year and learn all these fancy dances. Uh, the most stressful part is always the first move. You can never work out, do you, do you set, do you cast, do you turn? Yeah,
0: I think yours, your second book could be based around that whole metaphor, Neil. <laughs> make, make it the first
2: movie. See, what, <laughs> see be, being a Glaswegian, you say you were going to the dancing. I wasn't the first image that no, killed me, me. No, either, no. actually.
1: This is Persia <laughs> dancing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, anyway,
1: this is the, the real of the 51st. That's
0: right, it's The real, real. Yes, of course. Um, now, on the, uh, on the topic of the greetings, we have some correspondence. And uh, first up, it is our friend William Wilson, friend to the podcast, friend to all. Oh, yeah. And William writes Hi, folks. Keep up the good work. As usual, I'm about a couple of episodes behind in my listening, so I'm currently listening to Season 5, Episode 15, where Fiona makes the strategic decision to use the non-time-specific greeting, Good Day. A couple of days later, when reading the magazine from the Saturday edition of The Herald, obviously I'm reading it on a Wednesday, notice any patterns, he says, in how I consume media, I read the following. It's sad but true that the following expressions have fallen out of fashion. Very well. Presently. At once. Come along telephoned, good day, and won't you sit down? Also, more people should be called Janet and drink sherry. So well done, says William, on the revival of good day. Maybe you can revive some of the other expressions. And I wonder, do you have any listeners called Janet who drink sherry while listening? (laughs) And sitting
1: down. (laughs) And sitting down. The the thing about won't sit down, that's an interesting omission, isn't it? Why have we, do we not say that anymore?
0: I don't know. I wonder if people just sit down without being asked
1: just just get on with it
2: i would say have a seat yeah yeah grab a pew
1: yeah that's a bit more jovial i've I've got a friend who's got a thing about doctors saying pop up here um (laughs) 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 um, um, but uh, yeah there was a thing so as you know there was um aberfeldy had a lot of ukrainians came and lived here there's still quite a few uh still living here um, and a lot of them worked in the cafes and restaurants in Aberfeldy. And there was a real problem because their version of English was very direct. Uh, and and um, people would come into uh, restaurants or, or cafes and the ukrainian waiting person would just go sit down like that and so i was speaking to one of the english teachers of the town and she said we've done we've had to do a lot of work in the subjunctive you know would you like to sit down and ukrainians are going why do i have to add all these extra words it's perfectly clear i just need to tell the person to sit down i've got two words that i could do this with why do i have to add all this extra padding and my friend was going, a fair fair point
0: Love that. Well, William continues, More seriously, keep up the good work. Mm. The Acts series has made me reflect. The Acts is actually darker than is sometimes portrayed in church. When we sometimes wish we were back living like the church in the New Testament, we need to think more fully about what it is that we're wishing for. Best wishes, Mm. William. Mm. Good point. That's been one of my observations as we've gone along, is it's it's not it's not always straightforward, is it, being part of the early church?
1: No. He's a man of good points.
0: He's a man of good points. Now, I've also had a verbal comment from the lovely Jenny Wilson. Now, Jenny works for SBS and part of her job is actually to listen to our episodes before they go out. So she has, a, she's an obligatory listener, although I think she does listen pretty carefully because we quite often have conversations about what we've been talking about. Um, anyway, she was asking, had we reached a conclusion about whether or not the three instructions in Acts 15 were a practice or a boundary marker for the Gentile Christians? I think we didn't really reach a conclusion. Well, I think, Neil, you maybe you maybe felt quite strongly concluded. I thought it was
1: boundary marker because it tells you not to eat blood and we do eat blood. So it's the black pudding clause.
0: <laughs> black pudding argument. <laughs> Some, that. Of blood. Some of us eat blood. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. vegans. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the vegans or the vegetarians. Um, or, I you know people who don't like it.
1: I was on a committee with the one of well the guy who kind of founded the black pudding empire of Stornoway. Love it, that. That was amazing. Yeah.
0: Did he bring you treats?
1: He did. He did. He, he used did to he have, bring you black pudding. Yeah. He did. He had he had them in, in a, um, um, uh, a big rucksack, and he'd have these huge black puddings, and he also sent me um, yeah, he sent, sent me some merch once, black pudding merch. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, imagine
2: if I, he... th- I thought he was going to send the black puddings through the post. I know. I, know, I think, I which think is he inter- did.
1: Yeah. I think he did once. Yeah,
2: because my mum talks about in the nineteen forties. Um, her, family had a farm in Dumfries, and they would regularly receive a whole chicken through the post, <laughs> really? which they would then pl- <laughs> which they would then pluck, pluck and prepare. Or oh, right, an unplucked chicken. Sorry, can I just clarify? Yeah. Not alive. No, no, it ha it was deceased. Okay, but uh, it was sent through the post. I mean that—that's just. I mean, it's just just wouldn't ha- no way you'd accept a chicken that'd been in the post for four days, would you? It—it <laughs> <laughs> it was longer than four days.
1: So. Can well, I can is... I add that to the list of things that should be banned under the acts
2: under the acts uh, 15, <laughs> Black pudding clause. And, and there's Chickens my mum. She's 88 post. and she's she's fine after eating a chicken that and came harm. to the post. <laughs>
0: yeah. Very good. Well, uh, that's um. Hope you're satisfied with that answer Jenny. Right. Well, the other thing I've got is uh, that was our, that's all for correspondence. Don't forget you can contact us on outspoken at scottish org. But I do have an advert for a new podcast that is coming, or is already here from SBS. And it's made by our good friend Alistair Wallace, friend to the podcast, former producer of this podcast. And he sent me a little description of what it is. So let me just read that out. He says, in a world of breaking news, we need a moment to pause and remind ourselves of eternal truths. This hope is for you offers a space to stop, reflect and hear words written thousands of years ago but are essential for today. The podcast is a daily three-minute reflection, meaning that you don't have to replace another podcast with these episodes or find another hour out of your life, hint taken, to listen in. Take three minutes to hear the words of the Bible written for you and be still in the knowledge that this hope is for you. So it's entitled this hope is for you it's it's already launched it launched on the 6th of november and it drops every day so every day there's a three minute offering you can find it on spotify apple all your usual platforms and there are also links in the notes to this episode um so you can find the the
2: links from there either of you listened to it yet i've been listening it's it's truly beautiful in every sense of that word it sounds good it's got great content and it draws, draws me close to Jesus mm. and it's not hope in a kind of oh I hope everything will be better, it's the reality of hope God with us through everything that we experience, great job even the little rustling of the, the paper before the Bible reading, I like mm. that Oh, you, that's interesting because I was going
0: to say yeah. I think it's so beautiful I think the content's beautiful, the one thing I found a wee bit, ah, was the rustling of the paper oh really, yeah, not like I thought it, was, it was real of, in the sort of ah,
2: way <laughs> <laughs> but that's no, my own Al- preference. Well, it just shows how you can like different things. Uh-huh. Well, it's just that it's just that
0: yeah. sound thing, you know, like if like a yeah. uh, scraping mm-hmm. on a blackboard. Sometimes it just it just wee bit gets me that that sound. I've got but a rule
1: with these things that if you notice it, sorry, if you notice it, it is a problem. You don't think? Mm. But I don't know.
2: Mm. No, no, I think it's it's intentional. It's not just that uh-huh. someone is rustling no. while they read the Bible. No. It's, it's the intro <laughs> into the Bible reading. Yes, and, and, the, like and the
0: outro actually. Yeah. So it's at the beginning and the end. Yeah. And mm. all of which is to say that's, that's distracting from the main point which is that this is beautiful yeah. it's beautifully yeah. read please, beautifully please delivered listen. and it really is only three minutes so it's you know it's, it's short it's mm-hmm. so easy to fit in lovely little yeah. devotional moment good right well that was the adverts and the correspondence it's time now for our special segment Glover's Others we have just stopped humming after last time's character Delilah got you humming again there sorry about that and uh, working back from her we've had Gad Baruch Abimelech Amos Isaiah David's three friends, Hagar, Obed-Edom, palmoni Jephthah's daughter, Rahab, Joshua, Balaam, Aaron, Jethro and Ha. I nearly said Rehab, because for some reason that's how I've written it. <laughs> rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, <laughs> over to you. Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others... B-list characters you really don't want
1: to miss. I'm I'm still thinking about possible series called Rehab Does Rehab, Acts of Acts. Look, let's look at Luke. Can't think of any others. It's getting out of Exodus or something. Um, I'm looking at Eli this week. I like Eli because there's a certain clergy affinity going on there, but also, you know, he he often makes mistakes, he often doesn't get it and he does have, his sons are out of control and end up causing disaster um, there's also a sense that Samuel is his replacement so there's all sorts of stuff with Eli that, that just doesn't work but he has a few key moments when he gets it right the most famous one is when uh, Samuel wakes him up and keeps saying "Oh, were you calling me, were you calling me and eventually Eli says go and speak, your master is listening but there's also an earlier incident like this when uh, Samuel's mother, although she isn't Samuel's mother at this point, Hannah is in the temple or in the tabernacle actually. And she's weeping because her husband's other wife is persecuting her. She has lots of children and her, her husband keeps trying to minimize the pain and says, well, you know, you don't have children, but you've got me. Surely that's enough. And uh, that's clearly not enough. And, um, Well, clearly not enough, but for her, it's the pain is still there. And she goes to the temple or the tabernacle and she's weeping and bawling her eyes out. And Eli, as typically with Eli, gets it wrong first time. He says, you're drunk. What are you doing? And she says, no, I'm not drunk. And she explains her situation. And Eli gets it right the second time. And he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And I love the fact that he just gives her the gift of hearing her, but also prays that God will hear her. And that's surely the job of a priest. So I love him because in amongst all his mess and all his first time mistakes, he gets there and he recognizes that people need to hear from God.
0: Very good. Thank you very much. We tend to write these people off, don't we? Mm, Sometimes, you know, because they they mess up, but then everybody messes up. In scripture and in the rest of life
1: yeah i had somebody write to me recently after a funeral and i don't know how you would react if this happened where they said to me you are the perfect example of what a christian should be I and mean, how would how would you react if someone said that to you
0: i, I think i would be skeptical
1: <laughs> well, i mean about me not you yeah you know i was I immediately <laughs> felt now but obviously this some this person was saying something which was very generous and had come from a place in them so i didn't want to push it away immediately and I eventually thought, and I, th- I think this might have been the right thing to do. I hope it was. I said, I don't feel like a Christian a lot of the time. I, do- I often feel like I'm hanging on. But maybe that's what a Christian is. Someone who's, who's hanging on, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and, but they have a, a deeper trust that God can hold them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: I think that's a good response. I feel I want to write that response down in case somebody says And
2: something. And also, we are, It could sound very pious, and I don't mean it to be, but we are who we are because of Jesus within Mm -hmm. us. Mm. So if anything that they've seen Mm -hmm. in us, we've talked about this before, actually, haven't we? (laughs) We need to point to Jesus. Mm. Yes. And and I don't mean that means, that I'm nothing and I don't matter, because we do matter, because God loves us as we are and he made us as we are and he wants us to be fully us. But that comment, I would pray and hope, is that they've seen Jesus Mm -hmm. in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and they might not recognise that and they don't have any way of expressing that. But we, we have to. I, I suppose we have to ask ask God to make that true. That it, if people think that, it's because it, they see Jesus. Because mm. we're, we're nothing without what he, how yeah. He changes us.
1: Yeah, I suppose yeah. deep down that was the hope, and and maybe that's what happened. I mean, it's far better that He wrote that than said you're nothing like what I expect a Christian to be. When you said that, that's
2: true. That's true. I've had that right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what your response was, Jen. But um, it's maybe not time.
2: Well, I was in a. Sc- I was in a school and uh, this RME teacher had been sent to meet one of the chaplains who was me and they came in and they both went they, just, they were just like, what, well, I didn't expect you someone like you, like they hadn't even spoken to me it was like <laughs> uh, yeah I, we, we could, I could imagine what maybe they were imagining what the expectation was, that's true yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. well, thank you very much so Eli, and we're still looking for some connection Yes. in our most recent five yeah, it goes yeah. back to Abimelech uh so let us know about that any thoughts on that or indeed anything else contact us at outspoken at org. now Last time, Paul, Silas and Luke found themselves in Philippi, having been summoned by the man from Macedonia. And today, having left Philippi with its embryonic church, they travel to Thessalonica, where they find themselves in trouble, and then on to Berea, where they are welcomed and where the Christians are described as being eager to engage with scriptures. However, Paul is then chased out of town, and we encounter him waiting around in Athens for Luke and Silas to arrive. So we're reading Acts chapter 17, verses 16 Through to 34, slightly smaller chapter, this smaller number of verses this time. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it wasn't unappreciated. (laughs) Good for the prep, wasn't it? I know. (laughs) Just wait till next time. Can I just, I'm just warning you now. Um, So if you're, this is now your moment, if you want to pause the podcast and have a listen or a read of that chapter uh, before we start talking about it. Athens. We feel we know about Athens. It feels familiar, doesn't it? Have any of us been to Athens? No, I've not actually.
1: <laughs> been to the Athens, I've been to the of, the the Athens of the North? the North. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no, we said that together. But that's that's a good it's a good illustration. So I often think um Athens is Edinburgh and Corinth is Glasgow. And oh that's a good
0: yeah, that's helpful.
1: Um and that that um Athens has is is steeped in this history of learning, has all these monuments to its glorious past around the place. Um and a Corinth is this kind of upstart city that's got rich through commerce, which is just down the road.
0: Mm, mm. So, and so it would have been, it would have been a pretty imposing place to, to turn up in, right?
1: Yeah, and and kind of interesting because it, it had this pretense of, um, we're going to come to, I think it's a phrase you, people quite like, you know, they love new ideas, they love new ideas, yeah. but actually, ironically, they don't actually change very often. So uh-huh, it's this uh-huh. kind of, oh, yeah, let's talk about the new thing. But mm-hmm. underneath, mm-hmm. all the kind of hierarchies, the, the stuff that they do, that's all settled, uh, which is quite interesting. Yes. But yeah, the, there's this great history. I, I, I should know this. Was Socrates in Athens? I'm not quite sure. Um, uh, not the sure. Areopagus, which we're going to come to, where Paul's going to go to, um, that was this place of discussion of learning. There's a lot of discussion about whether it was actually a place. Was it called Mars Hill or was it just a body, which was called the Areopagus? But but yeah, you've, you've got this learning, but then you've also got alongside that this kind of folk religion with all these idols and all that. So you've got all these poets yeah. and then you've got these idols as well.
0: And it, it does still permeate our European culture today. Mm. Mm. You know, the kind of Greek mythology, Greek thinking.
1: Oh, yeah. Is still yeah. It's still
0: very you prevalent. Know, it still has a strong, there's a strong thread into, into how we think now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, the, big, the two biggest influences in that are Plato and Aristotle. Um, mm-hmm. And once again, I'm slightly out of a comfort zone because I'm not quite sure how much they had to do with Athens. But, but Plato, this idea of, of logic, this idea of a separation between good and evil, which in some ways is problematic. And then Aristotle, who in some ways is a bit more pragmatic. Um, I love the idea. I'm probably more drawn from what I've heard of Aristotle to this idea that he often wanted to talk about things rather than pose ideals. Um, but yeah, the, all, that, all that permeates culture today. Um, Augustine, who's a big influence on Protestant Christianity, mm. he was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy as well.
0: And we would still use kind of Socratic methodology, wouldn't we, in philosophy? Yeah. In terms of, of questioning yeah. and, and, and finding your way towards a, a perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. and it. But it's an interesting relationship. Tertullian, one of the early fathers of the church, famously said, what has Athens got to do with Jerusalem?
0: Oh, that's, yes. Uh, well, maybe that's the root of what we're going to talk yeah, about today, actually. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get at something with that yeah so yeah paul is there sort of incidentally he's there yeah. alone yeah. jen you you i think maybe do you want to talk a little bit about that
2: yeah he was alone but he was, he was also waiting on his own he was sitting there because he was at risk wasn't he and he's waiting for silas and timothy to 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 return but that first the first few words while paul was waiting um He's observing, he's seeing things, he's looking about, he's wondering. And it made, it made me think, how do I use my waiting times? You know, if I'm in a queue at Tesco, I tend to be thinking, "Oh, that person in front of me has got far too much shopping and they look like they don't know what they're doing at the self-checkout and this is going to take a lot longer <laughs> than, um, than I want. Rather than observing, how is that person? How's their mood? Who else is in the store? What's going on? What's my culture like? What You know, I, I just think that's brilliant. I wish I could do it more yes. while he's waiting. He he's seeing and then that leads him to being distressed. But as you said, Fiona, he's also alone. And I, I wonder as as this whole thing pans out, is that actually slightly problematic that he's on his own? Because it seems to improve a bit when uh Sa- is it Silas Sa- and Sa- Timothy, yes, when they're back together and that need for a team. Um yes. not that we should ever we we can't we will be alone at times and he takes the opportunity that he's in, which is brilliant. Um but it just made me wonder, is is it be- is this actually is it better? to be together, I'm sure it is, than uh, doing your own thing or having to do your thing. Of course God's there with him, he's obviously not on his own.
1: The waiting thing makes me think of, I've just read a book called When Church Stops Working by Andy Root. Now I have only recently Mm. encountered Andy Root so Jen, have you ever read Andy Root before?
2: I've read read loads of Andy Root (laughs) and I've been on a, a, a I've been in a boot, I should have said this before, I was on a a, a webinar thing with him because we I was in a book group and we we're reading is one of his books but he joined in on one of the calls which was great. Um he's a Lutheran pastor, mm. is that correct? I think that's right. Um so he's he's done lots of work on youth books on youth ministry. Um he's written one with Bonhoeffer and Bonhoeffer's view of youth ministry. Um I, and I I love the way he writes because he he tends to write um Theologically, obviously, but he also is very good at creating imaginary church settings where the thinking that he's exploring is put into practice, uh, which is great. So, I, I mean, you, oh, you can just Google him and find that he's very pro- prolific author. Yeah, he's written, he's written well about 20
1: read. books, I think, or something. Yeah. Um, I came across him because in, in the research from this book I'm writing, which we have alluded to more than once, um, I discovered that my core thesis... He'd already got to be got to it several years before, but basically he argues that um, a lot of the church strategy work that's been done over the last fifty years, he said, all of it ultimately is about the search for effective innovation, okay. and 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 he argues, and I would tend to agree with him, that it hasn't really delivered on what we hoped it it would be. Um, the but what he does say is that church renewal is grounded in an encounter with God, which I totally that's probably the heart of what my own book's about but also he he talks then and and then and then what and he just says wait and wait and wait and wait and i was like reading the book going surely there must be something more than waiting now he does have a little bit more than that but very yeah, effectively that's what it is it's his his primary strategy for the renewal of the church is wait wait for god
0: and and yeah, and it, it, he's talking about waiting on the Lord moving, or yeah. is he talking about yeah? Uh huh.
1: And and God speaking, in in other uh-huh. words, but but what he's wanting us to do is to ensure that the initiative lies with God. Now that doesn't mean that God obliterates all that we do. You know, it's it's God within us, but he would argue, and I agree, that many of our approaches to strategy actually keep God at a distance, even though they use God language. Yeah. Don't yeah. actually do that.
0: Can you ground that in an example, Neil?
1: Um, well, let me. Well, here's here's a specific example. Vision statements, okay? Now, vision statements in the in the Bible renewal does begin with vision, but arguably you could argue that the vision statement for the Gospels is the 66 chapters of Isaiah, <laughs> or or yeah. more that is the it's the Law and the Prophets. Um, vision is is a genuine thing where god comes into the 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 people and speaks through prophets and it's often quite lengthy and it's often quite confusing and it's it's passionate and so on and what we do is we reduce vision down to this kind of statement of three line consensus yeah um and and that process is very often a, i hate to say it but okay we might pray about it but what we end up it's not the same idea of vision as we have Um, elsewhere it's it's this idea to have an elevator pitch to be able to describe what we can do in three minutes Mm. so that's an example of where we often use a strategy in a way even with God language that isn't Mm -hmm. the kind of visionary waiting for God that Andy Root would I think argue for and I would definitely be agreeing with
2: him back to Paul's waiting it's in his waiting that God stirs his emotions yes and and he sees where he is and he sees the people around him and he's motivated to then go and reason in the synagogue and in the marketplace yes so waiting makes us see and i i think that's a huge huge challenge to me do i see Uh do i see the people around me in my community do i really do i listen to them do i hear their needs am i am i am i spiritually sad for them or concerned for them or am i angry do I get angry at, at what's wrong, and and that's what that's what I feel is happening to Paul. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, because in his waiting he understood.
0: And the distress,
2: yeah. the distress is this kind of
0: deep seated thing, isn't it? It's that kind of yeah. anger and jealousy for God's name in the midst of that, and mm-hmm. and uh, anger about what's hap- what that does to then the people in
2: terms mm-hmm. of dehumanising, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Neil, so he reasoned in the synagogue, and that's that's what pushes him. Yes. He doesn't just get annoyed. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that, and John Stott in his commentary makes the point that, that you're making is that he comes right back to this, doesn't he? And he says the fundamental motivation for what happens mm. in, in Athens, and we're going to talk about the method in a minute. But the fundamental motivation, is, as you've both said, is this deep concern that, that God has been reduced to idols. We're, we're going to see later on, he's a bit more okay with the, the Greek poets. But, but I think it's the idea of the reduction of God that, that, that mm-hmm. your vision of God is so small and controlled and contained that therefore the full expanse of who God is cannot happen in your, wife, in your life. Um, that's another point that Andy Root makes actually in his book. He says we need to allow, if that's the right word to use, God to be God. Or we need to encounter the God who is God. And what he's doing is he's referring to Moses at that point, who meets God and God says, I am who I am, as opposed to these idols that we always make. And we often will say that idols are things like wealth or or cars or houses. But also in the church, we have reduced gods, much smaller gods, Mm. none more so probably than Zeus, the the man with the beard who permeates so much of our thinking about who God is.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Stott as well because Neil, when you were talking about Andy Root, I, I was thinking about John Stott's I- imagery of holding, you know, the newspaper mm. in one hand and mm. the Bible in the other, in terms of how we engage. Probably you would update that from a newspaper <laughs> these to a days, <laughs> to a phone, um, but but I think it, it, it's it to me it's that thing of 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 holding those things in in, in tension mm-hmm. that you don't become so. Um, enamored I suppose with the the idols or the or the cultural interpretations mm-hmm. and that you, that you lose that that distress mm-hmm. of, of you know being, mm-hmm. being knowing and in tune with the waiting on what God is doing isn't it yeah. I, I was mm-hmm. thinking of an example I was t- when you think about Tesco's Jen I, thinking, I, I sometimes kind of intentionally and I should do it more often intentionally try to do that stop thing of interpreting culture yep. while I'm in a waiting moment and I do remember once yep. being in Sainsbury's and was a bit more at market than Tesco, in Sainsbury's, and it was Comic Relief time, and I was just kind of looking mm-hmm. at these wee red noses that we that we put on our noses at Comic Relief time, and I I mean after about five minutes of standing in the queue, I had a whole understanding of our society. <laughs> you know, we, we we love to give, but we love to show people that we're giving. We care about the environment, so we're we're kind of playing around with the idea of how do we how do we do these noses without using up too much. Plastic, plastic but we want them to be individual yeah. so my nose needs to be different to your nose you know with these little different characters and things so individualism so you can you know I was kind of extrapolating a whole load of things we want to be funny yeah. that's you know humor is actually important to us as a culture um and so, so and there are good and bad things in all of that and I think I think you can always do that in those idle moments as you can you can look and think right what's that actually saying what's that advert actually telling me about how we mm. think yeah.
1: yeah are we do you are, do you want to go on into what Paul says? Because I think that really speaks to what you've just said.
0: I think it does. Well, we can pick up, pick up later. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I would quite like to just explore the, the, still keeping in the philosophies, thinking about the Epicureans and the Stoics. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because Epicureans always make me think of my granny because I think she used to get ham that was called Epicurean ham. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I don't think they were, you know, ham lovers. <laughs> <laughs> no. The Epicureans had a view of God as being distant, didn't they? Or the gods as being distant.
1: Yeah, the universe is an accident, I guess, of a collection of atoms, which I think might have been the word they actually used. Yeah, right. yeah, and therefore there's no point, there's no purpose, and a bit like Ecclesiastes, perhaps it's just the the most you can do is enjoy life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we see some of that in our culture. Yeah. What about stoicism? I personally, I think stoicism is kind of on the rise. So the Stoics would have believed.
1: They believe in a, a kind of substantial spiritual order to life, a kind of nat- natural law. And I think you have to just get with the program. I think happiness lies in accepting it. Um, that's quite an extreme view. As, as ever with these people, that you can reduce it to a caricature, which then becomes yeah. much easier to write off. I, I think There's some stuff where I think Stoicism is not far from from Christian faith because it does perceive that there is a spiritual order to our life i think
0: yeah i mean why do you think we're becoming more stoic
1: yeah yeah it does i I think
0: there's a yeah i think there's a strong um kind of individualized wanting to live a good life Hmm. Uh but but it's very self-driven as in it's it's um it's law driven to some extent isn't it but you know not law in the sense of the old testament but law in the sense of if i live a good life if i'm healthy if i treat my body well if I have good community, my mental health well, you know, these things which are all good things, yeah. Yeah. can become drivers
2: towards self-actualization. And is that, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jen. Is that part of stoicism, the the sort of routine of life and living well? You're putting routines in that, as you've described, make you healthy or you give to society. That I can see how you can see that is on the rise. Mm-hmm. I, and I think it's a reaction to our kind of Sort of, ma- sort of a mess we've created really how, um, how do you live life we, we've kicked out routines you know we don't go out and feed the chickens in the morning and we don't milk the cows at night that kind of you know, there's that need for a, a routine in fact you put me onto a podcast video called just one thing oh yeah it's a bbc sound which when you're talking it made me think of yeah. that you know because there's some some lovely wee things and it's just one thing to do that might change your life The one i was listening to was all about a laughter and how laughter's good for your cardiovascular system, and it's good for your brain function and all this stuff. And how you can bring more laughter into your daily life. But just when you were talking, I thought, is that was that kind of thing you were thinking? I think thinking that's the kind of, of thing it? I'm
0: thinking. Yes, yes. If I stand on one leg while I'm brushing my teeth, and if I, you know, go out walking in the rain, and I eat cooked tomatoes, then somehow, yeah, by pressing into these things, is, am I right in saying that that that's hmm. quite a stoic?
1: Definitely the way law. Of being. But but there's also another thing which is about acceptance. If we, mm-hmm. So I. I read an article recently which was saying are we medicating ourselves uh, with wellness philosophies in other words are we using mm. mindfulness and wellness which is often about accepting where you are now mm-hmm. advocates of that would disagree with that but that is what it becomes and um, accepting who you are as a way of just accepting your fate except making yeah. the best of what you have which is would be a very stoic mm-hmm. philosophy
0: stoic idea wouldn't it yeah mm. i think i'll prove my point it's on the rise. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so here's paul. Are, are you allowed he's... to are you allowed to form judgment over your own point are you allowed to be <laughs> is
0: that is that stoic is that epicurean i don't know <laughs> probably not very jesus following um <laughs> so here's paul he's waiting he's distressed by the idols he he's noticing mm. he then is putting himself into the market well he goes to the synagogue but we don't know very much about what happens within the synagogue um, mm-hmm. or and what it is that propels him out into the marketplace but he seems to be mixing in amongst all these different philosophies in this place which this is my this is the verse I was talking about that's my favourite verse all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent the time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas
2: <laughs> but isn't it great that they engage with Paul mm. you know he's all I mean I, nobody's come to me recently and said oh I'd really like to talk to you about um, wellness or mental health or uh-huh. I can't think, and uh, you got numerous current thinking because you're a Christian, and I want to. I want to know how your thinking fits into this. Yeah. So they they know Paul; they've seen him about. He's he's on the same platform. That sounds. He about He can speak it. their it's, language. You know, it, he's known. He's known, and, and 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 maybe that's just. Maybe not all Christians can do that. Maybe it is for a few, and we could probably name a few people, a few Christians who are in that kind of level of debate with thinkers of the time if you like Uh, but they're not but few Uh, there's not that many of us who are engaged at that kind of level yeah and
0: i think we tend to go with the thinkers of the time but i wonder how much like that wellness culture that you're talking about Mm -hmm. it made me think about the fact that alistair wallace who's getting lots of name checks on this episode but we went to the podcast show in london in may and we were really struck by the fact that the religion and faith space wasn't really represented other than in the wellness industry which is massive Mm. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I th- I think you're right, Jen. Where where are we talking talking with those people? Yeah. So it's not necessarily yep. kind of a, an apologetic, but it, well, it's a different kind of apologetics, isn't it? It's not mm-hmm. an intellectual apologetics. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a kind of holistic apologetic.
2: And I suppose it's right there in the midst of whatever is right there for you, which should be a London Institute of Contemporary Christianity thing. where's your front line? Mm-hmm. Where, where where are you engaging? I mean, recently I've been I've been challenged on my connection with my community now what i'm going to say that i felt god asked me to do could be a bit controversial but um our community has a halloween map that they create and so you you give your address and it means people can safely come to your house and they know that they can tell a joke and and it's actually i felt it was returning to the origins of uh guising Mm -hmm. rather than trick-or-treat so and, and for years i've i've disengaged with halloween because i i just didn't like it for my children for various reasons but i thought in my middle age i would put my house in the map and open my doors and I spoke I just I spoke to loads of families and teenagers and children who were at my door. Um and I was glad I did it. Now I'm very happy to accept that others would think that wasn't the right thing to do. And then I'm also for Christmas I've joined a group who are we're going it's a toy drive and you have a box at your door and people can put things in your in for for local needs. And it's very well done. So there's specific needs from specific children for Christmas and people come and put them in your box. Um you know, that's just my example of what I'm trying to do in my community and it's very, very new, and I, I don't know if it'll make any difference, but it's that sense of Paul was right there in the marketplace. And I think we can all find that marketplace. Whatever our lives are. Yeah.
1: And there's a there's an interesting thing about cultural engagement and how you do it. And it it's just interesting here with Paul. Firstly, the, the the idols of the culture, he has he has I think it's fair to say he has contempt for them. He, he he is utterly mm-hmm. distressed with them because they are reductions of God. But the, the poets of the culture who are prepared to go a little bit further, he seems to have, a, a, as we're going to discover, a bit of a sympathy towards them. Uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. totally agree with them. He doesn't feel they're there, but he feels somehow they lead us into, into Christ. And it strikes me that there are, there are two ways of engaging with culture. One is to try and superficially learn the language of the culture in order that you can turn, turn yourself against it and the second is to properly engage to see where where might god be already now that's not an uncritical mm. assessment because it's still highly critical of the idols of a particular culture but it sees the gaps and the openings and the possibilities where mm. where which is not where christ is it's not like god's in the gaps it's more that the gap then allows us into almost a much bigger room to go and, yeah. and see god and i've recently been reading a, a guy called richard twist who, who died uh, about 10 years ago who was um a first nations american native american christian who was highly critical of missionaries who learnt the language but but then a very superficial understanding of culture and he argued you actually had to go into an appreciative depth with um mm. with culture and you know i instinctively get nervous when i say that because you think well okay, but you've got to retain your Christian distinctive. Mm. He made two points uh, in response to that. It's one that uh, the first approach where you kind of criticise the culture and you say, oh, we're going to have this acultural Christianity. He said very often that just looks like white North American culture, even though you're pretending it's that. That's why his book's called Why uh, the Gospel Was Stolen from Cowboys. But, but the second thing that I find is really interesting, and this is also echoed in a guy called Jay Ruka, We Are Come Home, which we talked about in the last, the last, bo- yeah, last mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Both Richard Twist and Jay Ruka, when you read them, they have such an affection for Jesus. I and mean, it, it shines through the, the page. And it strikes me that their affection for culture hasn't diminished their love of jesus in fact arguably mm. it's possibly led them into an even greater appreciation so there's mm-hmm. i think there's something there about how we engage with culture with that right mix of appreciation and also criticalness. if that's the right word
0: yeah which um, again brings me back to my john stott bible mm-hmm. newspaper thing mm-hmm. it's an equal holding of the two isn't it it's an equal pursuit of the holiness and and our our narrow not narrow but our single focus focused devotion towards jesus yeah yeah whilst at the same time engaging so there's not a syncretism but there's actually a a, a clarity
1: yeah and you're not afraid of either yeah because yeah. if god's big yes enough.
0: yes yeah. yes good so he's been in the marketplace and then he's invited in to the areopagus mars mm-hmm. hill yep
1: yeah there's some debate about that what's th- Okay. Hey, whether it's a place called Mars Hill, which uh, uh-huh. we might allude to later, gave it its name to a number of prominent churches, or whether it's just a, a setting, I, the commentators I read said it was more like a committee. It was a group which was called the Areopagus. which uh-huh. kind of ruins calling your church Mars Hill, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it, it was more your... like a. It was. It was maybe a court, yeah, wasn't yeah. it, or a place where uh, things were judged. I mean, I've read I read that maybe the judging wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't very just. It wasn't very just. Uh-huh. It was like a corrupt court. Right.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. yeah. And and so there he's asked to kind of present these ideas. Uh-huh. So he must have been um, coherent enough to have been invited in the first mm-hmm. place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There, there must be something about what he's saying. So, so although he's on his own, he's not in his team, he's not where he's meant to be, he's gone further south into Athens instead of heading the way he wants to head. Nonetheless, he's being used by God you know there's something of of Christ in him that's that's appealing and he he gives this sermon now it's it's a wee bit controversial isn't it yeah so because it's not like others no
1: so it's very different Mm. from the rest of Paul so some people say oh um, did Paul really write this or is this Luke Um, some people think that it makes too much of a sympathetic move towards the culture of its day and whereas the Paul they understand would be see radical discontinuity we'll come to that later and the third thing that people argue about is that it doesn't explicitly mention the cross and they say that would be an essential part of any quotes gospel presentation
0: i mean obviously we're not actually seeing the whole sermon here yeah because this this doesn't take long to read
1: no well that's john stott's defense he says that this must have mentioned the cross at some point because how can you talk about the resurrection without having explained the story about it so that would be his his answer. It doesn't talk about the atonement, though. So that's interesting.
2: And how mm-hmm. is it recorded? Mm-hmm. Do you think is Luke? Luke was, Luke isn't here, no. mm-hmm. is he? Mm-hmm. Luke isn't Luke isn't here. So who? This is Paul's recounting of this incident. If he's on his own.
1: Yeah, unless it's Dionysius wrote or, it Or is
2: yeah? It's Dionysius uh-huh. or Demaris? Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe.
0: It's yeah. quite a thought that isn't but, it?
2: Would,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and so, uh, so there, is, there is controversy because it is very different to, to, to other things that he says and, it, and he changes how he is when we, we'll, re- we'll think about that next time when we talk about Corinth um, but, but what is there in here that we would want to kind of say this, this is good in terms of his
2: engagement mm-hmm. can, can I just say yeah. something about Paul about this <laughs> the, the sermon he preaches and, and who recorded it because I think I often read Paul stood up and said As if he'd no thought, he'd no preparation. As if Paul is completely different from any Mm -hmm. of us who would take a long time in preparing to speak in this context. And he, 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 maybe knew that this was this was coming. He was getting to know these people. This is his hope. He'd go to the Areopagus. He'd have this chance. So maybe, maybe he did prepare the sermon and he did write it down. Um, but maybe he lost some pages. (laughs) Maybe when he handed it over to Luke. (laughs) Maybe Jen. (laughs) Or maybe they're a bit wet after the uh, (laughs) shipwreck or something. Who knows? Uh, but we miss out that practicality, mm-hmm. don't we? They're just like Paul is just this kind of spiritual ethereal kind of being who floats around and spontaneously speaks amazing words, but he, he is human and he's led by God and he's filled with the spirit, but he would have prepared and he would have thought things through. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it it has kind of you, you were asking, you know, what what goes on. So there's there's the kind of three points, I think, maybe four. Um, the first is that initial bit where he makes that connection. I see you're very religious. He, so he makes the connection with the mm. the culture. Mm-hmm. A little bit of flattery mm-hmm. your audience, maybe. Or, or maybe there's a double-edged thing to you know, you think this is a great thing that you're religious, but mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. The second thing is then he he makes this statement about the common experience of God, that the God who ordains the times and seasons, the pe- place where people will live. As some of your poets have said, in him we have our being. And in that, he aligns himself with a particular part of that culture, which said that God is not reduced to idols, um, but, but, is, but is much bigger than that. And then he moves on to Christ. And he said, he is the one that I now proclaim to you, though he's mentioned that earlier in his speech. And, and he talks in a sense that Christ is the fulfillment of all our human hope. And then the final thing, and this is the hard one, he said, he is going to come to judge. And therefore, I ask that you repent. Uh, and repent doesn't it's an unfortunate translation in the English it it doesn't mean to flagellate yourself until an unhappy God is made happy again it it is to um, turn your whole orientation towards the God who has already come to you so that's the fourth thing it's the impelling to turn towards Christ who is the fulfillment Mm -hmm. of all our great hopes
0: and you alluded, Neil, earlier to you were talking about the Mars Hill hmm. thing. Do um, y- y- you think there has been a a, a misappropriation of what he does here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I it's it, like you. It's the there's no doubt that that this speech is seriously inflected towards the the vocabulary and concerns of an Athenian culture. It's completely different from. I would say just about any other speech and acts there's there's one of these earlier ones a little bit like it It might be Lystra I think Um, but it's so he he does do that cultural work but I think to kind of fetishize that as the kind of paradigm of all Christian mission forgets the fact that this is quite so unique as a as a as a speech Um, and I think you know, I was around in the nineteen nineties where we talked a lot about the seeker-friendly movement. That you, that the the moving of culture was all about trying to what was it a safe place for a dangerous message? That's what the that's what the the motto used to be. Um, but as long as you quoted a little bit of Bob Dylan or a little bit of the poets and so on, that would be the way to go. And then it is interesting that two very famous churches, Mars Hill in Seattle, which is the subject of the Downfall of Mars Hill podcast, and then a Rob Bell's a church in Grand Rapids, which was called Mars Hill. I if I'm honest I find it slightly worrying that that's what you call your church that if that's your paradigm and it's it's not even based on one chapter but a kind of smaller chapter in Mm -hmm. in Acts I think there is something about an over eagerness to connect with the culture that perhaps becomes problematic maybe that's Mm. crystallizes what I'm trying to
0: see yeah it's interesting to think about isn't it yeah yep, never thought about that. that before uh-huh, that's really yep. helpful Neil because I, th- I think it doesn't just you know figure in those big seeker friendly movements mm-hmm. but I think the way we've thought about apologetics as well and I mean I would say that as somebody who's worked who worked for the Damaris Trust yeah. for some time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you know the whole uh, rationale and I, I don't think there's it's wrong but the whole rationale of the Demaris Trust was that you look at whatever the cultural mm-hmm. um, signs are in, in music and films and so on, and, and you use that as a springboard. But I think it's the using it as a springboard that maybe I'm putting words into the Demaris Trust's mind. But my interpretation of that is you use it as a springboard into sharing the gospel. And I, I wonder if that's where we go wrong rather than using those cultural signposts as a means of understanding the spiritual temperature that we, that we are in and the spiritual waters that we're swimming in in order to then be part of that but to, but to, but to bring a holiness to
2: it sorry Jen I, no, I'd say my experience of first my first time I began to analyse culture my culture I was living in properly was when I went for a week to the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity in the, when it was, in the 2000s probably early 2000s, this is the 2000s um, and I think for the first time I think at that time I was struggling with my faith and why I felt disconnected from my faith and from my culture. I, I just felt like I was just in this kind of disconnect. That's the best way to describe it. I wasn't understanding it either. And then as I understood my culture more that week, I understood myself and like mm. why I am who I am mm-hmm. and, and the culture I've grown up in and the culture that I'm part of. And then that helped me to understand the Bible better and Jesus better and how that all fitted together. So there's a place, and I wonder if Paul is doing, Paul is understanding his culture and then sp- speaking into the culture. But it's. I think the words you that, you know, use the culture, yes. springboard as you say, that, that it, it sort of separate, as if we are separate from mm-hmm. the culture and mm-hmm. we're not. We're, we're completely part of the culture and and we we are we are people of the culture and we have to live in it and breathe it and understand it. Um, to follow Jesus better, yeah, I think, I think that that's been my experience of, of cultural connection. Yes,
0: I think it would be really interesting to have this conversation with a younger group of people as well, mm. with millennials and and whatever the next generation is, Gen Y, Gen Z, Z, Z. Z. Um, because because the cultural waters that they swim in are different to the cultural waters that that mm. we swam in in the nineties or swim in now. I... Although although there is a sense that we're all in the same culture. Well, yes, yes, we but we have yeah. passed on something. To that yeah. next generation, that I think it would be really interesting to explore, um, but I guess that's I mean that's why we have what, your section at the end, Jen, because it's it's helping us sort of think what are the
2: what are the the, mm. the mores of the the culture that that younger mm. people are in now. I I, mean, I think my favourite bit in Paul's sermon speech is. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Mm. Mm. And, that, and that's, that's the heart of this, is that mm-hmm. Jesus is right in the middle yes. of this Areopagus and all the conversations, meaning, seemingly meaningless conversations. Jesus is right there yes. for these people. And, 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 and thank God that Dionysus and Damaris and a number of others, unnamed, yes. um, get to know him. Yes,
0: because it's not a fruitless, fruitless time. Although it's a waiting time and it, you know, not where he was planning to be, it's not fruitless.
2: Yeah, it's relative, isn't it? I mean, if if we had four or five people as <laughs> something like this, that then that then um, became followers. Um, interestingly, became followers of Paul and believed, not followers of Jesus mm, and believed. Mm-hmm. I, I presume that was the first thing: follow Paul and then believed. It, it does
0: feel as though it's written yeah. by somebody else, doesn't it? The, the voice feels different. <laughs>
2: Yeah, but if that had happened to us in our cultural context, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, but it's just relative to previous stories that Paul's been involved mm-hmm. in. Yeah, the number of people.
1: I think there's an interesting paradox or tension in the story, which is alluded to by you, Jen, when you picked up that bit where it says, um, perhaps we might turn to him. And and." does he say be saved? What does he say? Perhaps we might... Um, Seek him and reach out for him and yeah, find him. yeah. So there's that thing of as you said the the closeness of jesus and this kind of universal sense of god but also the sense in the speech that pretty much everything that they've done up to now has been pretty defective and utterly depends on this one man appearing in this one place at this one time this is your one chance to get saved and it it's I don't think the tension gets fully resolved here. You know, it's, is God present to all and available to all or does it absolutely defend, depend on one person showing up and, and preaching, as Paul says in Romans, how can they be saved unless the gospel is preached to them? And I, I wonder if that's a tension that we just have to name and not try to resolve it. In one sense to say God is at work in every single person's life But another sense to say it absolutely is responsible on me to share my faith because this could have huge consequences for those who hear.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a good place, I think, for us to, to kind of round this off, other than I was just going to add into that, Neil, about the, the resurrection being the stumbling block, wasn't mm. it? it? Because mm. when they begin to talk about the resurrection, when he talks about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. And I was thinking about the, they love to talk about all the latest ideas, which is all very kind of head knowledge. Mm. The resurrection is a, you, you know, you either believe it or you don't, and it's a bodily mm-hmm. mm. event that has happened. And there's something, isn't there, if that comes up against the, the kind of ideas. And, and-
2: I know you want to wrap up you know, but the sneering thing intrigued me because there's not a lot of va- there's no violence in this encounter. No, that's true, as it has been in previous ones. Sneering seems quite mild, yes. really. Yes, It's in, in fact, it's what our culture does. Uh-huh. Does it's it sneer? Yes, yeah, getting towards uh, the persecution uh, that we would face would be a sneering
0: persecution. Yeah, uh-huh. whereas it,
2: they don't they don't rush him out mm-hmm. of the place. They don't throw him over a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's out. so yeah. Athens,
1: the sneering. So high level, <laughs> isn't it? high level thing. We, we wouldn't have a mob <laughs> violence like those folks in Corinth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> High level engagement. Yeah. Good. Well, what would be your takeaways from today?
2: Oh, I th- I think um, the the observing definitely. Uh, my waiting times. What what am I doing with my waiting times on the M8, in the queue of the shops, whatever other waiting times I experience? Mm. I'm observing, and being and being emotionally, and responding to that.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have the same one. It's the image of you, Fiona, in the supermarket at Comic Relief. <laughs> and of you, Jen, having a transformative experience at the <laughs> London Institute of Contemporary Christianity.
0: I could have done a whole podcast on that nose.
1: <laughs> well, it's not interesting, though, because, the, because what you're doing is you're using a, a, a one individual thing to be an icon into the whole of the, of the culture. And Ooh, that's exactly well. what Paul does mm-hmm. here with the altar to the unknown God.:
0: It's like I'm a dramatic writer <laughs> 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 Yes, no, absolutely. yeah. uh mine would also be Neil, what you just said towards the end there about it's also incumbent on me to share mm. what I believe, share the gospel with mm. people, so mm. it's, I think I can if, if we're talking about a you know do you move towards the the cultural absorption or do you move towards the holiness i would I would kind of quite often verge towards the cultural absorption, so how do I? also make sure i'm still sharing the truth of the gospel with people in in the mix of all of that so yeah that's where my takeaway would be now speaking of our younger friends as we were jen what's the jen What's the gen. trying to what's keep up the with gen? reports trends the research good? findings what's and the what's latest happening? thoughts no time to read research? or listen to all that what's valuable content look no further what's the gen will we'll keep you up to date in touch and on the
2: ball what's the gen your guide to current thinking i want to talk about the 2022 talking jesus research which was put together by a number of organizations so if you want to know who they are that'll be in the show notes um some really interesting statistics from this, and it's fairly recent. And the one, I think some of us will know this already, maybe, but um, the Talking Jesus research found out how people came to faith and what drew them to faith in the UK. It's quite a, quite a big piece of research with quite a large number of people. Um, but 70% of people as adults who are Christians uh, came to faith under 18. So that's either, I think that 34%, they would say, I've always known Jesus. You know, that that's my whole life experience is, is being a Christian. Uh, and then another 40% between young, very young age up to 18. So that, you know, if we need an encouragement that youth ministry and children's ministry really matters or intergenerational or whatever, that's still hugely, hugely important time of our life when we come to Jesus. 70% became Christians under 18. And then a wee bit, um, of how people or what they would do if they want I asked if what they would do if they wanted to know more about faith so um 26% said they would google it or look on the internet um 22% read the bible and 22% go to church and i think as someone who works for the scottish bible society um that's is quite high for reading the bible and it becomes higher in the 18 to 25 age group it up to 24% that reading the bible would be the one thing they would do uh, to find out more about Christianity so how are we going to do that and and what does that look like in our culture I, I've been struck a few weeks ago I talked about the literacy uh, research I talked about and how reading was becoming less and less an enjoyable thing for younger people so what is that what does reading the Bible mean is it going to be giving them a huge big a huge book to read is it going to be on social media is it going to be by listening to audible stuff I've been talking to quite a lot of teenagers who are doing that they're listening much more to the Bible than they would read it um so we don't want to get stuck in or we need to give them more paper books to read but how do we get the bible out there and interestingly i've talked to a colleague whose daughter is 14 and she's she finds out she does a lot of her reading and experience experience in the bible on tiktok mm-hmm. so i think there's lots of things to think about that if if people st- still think the bible is a place to go to find out about jesus how can we creatively make that happen in our culture? So it, it's very actually connected with our passage without me thinking about that when I was preparing, because I, I often don't join things up. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And as you say, the link to that, and along with all the other books and things we've talked about, uh, will be in the show notes. Uh, so you can find those and go and read for yourselves or listen for yourselves if you're not a reader. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through to 19, verse 41. So it's quite a lot of verses, two chapters. We're off to Corinth and Ephesus. A lot to cover. Mm. <laughs> Greece, Join us then. Greece and Turkey. Greece and Turkey join us then to see how we do that. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.